welcome to another World of UX Podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join me on today. And welcome to those of you that are listening to the podcast for the very first time. We're glad to have you. And we are hoping to bring forth something that will help to stir you up, to get you to thinking, to vault you forward when it comes to UX, whether you are a practitioner or a stakeholder, somebody that's just trying to get into the discipline and you're curious today, we want to bring you something of value. That's the purpose. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. We care about the discipline. We care about folks that are trying to build themselves with regard to the discipline. And so we labor, we work to bring to you topics of interest, things of note about everything associated with UX, whether it's job hunt, whether it's certain types of job, the work itself. Uh, but today, we're, again, we're doing something a little bit different. I do not have a guest with me on today, but I am looking forward to bringing more people on this show. We're lining them up. I have another show in the hopper waiting to share with you that we've already recorded. Uh, but today, just as I just mentioned, you know, sometimes we talk about the work. Sometimes we talk about what's going on in the job market. Today, I want to talk to you about nuances. Uh, those, those things that sort of go beneath the radar, things that people are missing, but this time specifically about research. That uh, today, the hottest thing in UX arenas, if you talk to people, the thing you're going to hear the most for people who are interested in getting into UX, for the most part, is people want to get into research. Now, why is that? What exactly is research? What is it that people need to know if you're looking to get into research today? And a lot of those things are relatively easy to, to uncover and to identify. But the nuances, even people that are in the position of a UX researcher today don't understand certain things about the discipline. And so that's what we want to, to address today. So today's topic, embracing the nuances of UX research by covering this, we want to talk about, well, we got to talk about what research is just a little bit, but we also want to spend time identifying what some of those nuances are because Folks, one of the things that people doing UX today don't understand and don't always necessarily embrace is the fact that it's not just about the work. I mean, think about UX research for a minute. And first off, what is research? And I'm just going to take a base definition that I just grabbed off the Internet just to put before you, just to get us on the same page, just to help help us to, to, to level set here. And, and it's that. Research is basically the systematic investigation into and study of any materials, sources, in order to establish facts and to reach new conclusions. Now, that's a base definition of research, not UX research, of research. When we're doing UX research, we're trying to validate designs. We're trying to confirm ahead of time whether or not we're doing the right thing. We're trying to confirm or maybe make a decision between two aspects of a design. Uh, maybe we're just trying to gain some base market information or information about our users. Maybe we're just trying to understand a little bit more about them. We're trying to wrap our minds around their mental models, things like that. Research is going to facilitate all of these things. And there's five different types, five different aspects, I should say, 
of research, and they're split into a set of two and a set of three. Research is either going to be formative or summative. It's going to help you to form opinions and directions, help you to develop and identify strategies that that help you with design direction. That's formative. Or it's going to be summative. It's going to help you to draw conclusions or as the definition talked about to help you to establish facts. It's going to help you to to understand what's going on with what you have proposed or maybe what you've already done. It's time to to summarize. It's time to 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 reach a conclusion about what's going on, which, of of course, is going to determine more design direction. But that would be summative. So all research UX research is either formative or it is summative. Now, in the midst of that formative and summative research, you're going to go one of three ways from a methods perspective. And then we'll give you a list of some of those specific methods that we use. We're not going to get into any details about them. We'll do that again another time. But we do quantitative research. And note the root word, quantity, has to do with numbers. It's anything that is number-based or that can be coded as a number with what you do, but is basically telling you what people are doing. Any research that tells you what people are doing from a standpoint of how it's being classified, uh, maybe it's being done through what a lot of people commonly call a Likert scale. It's actually pronounced Likert don't worry about it. When somebody says Likert, you know what they mean. You know, you don't want to be a jerk about it. <laughs> if, it, it if they say Likert, you know it's Likert. Just go on go on your way. If you know what it is, then you call it what it is. And then let somebody think that you're saying something wrong. I've been there before. And uh, it's sometimes you have to live with being thought to be ignorant when you're the one that actually knows what's going on. And that just goes back to having thick skin. You need to have thick skin when you're doing UX work. So you have quantitative. Again, it tells you what people are doing. Then you have qualitative research with the root word being quality. Now we're looking at uh, deep diving into behaviors. Now we're trying to understand the why, the reasoning, the, the mentalities, all of those details that you cannot get when you're doing quantitative research will come out when you're doing qualitative research. And then the third is really a combination of the two. It's called mixed methods. Now, we've talked about misinformation in the past, right? Uh, There are people who think that mixed methods are new. Mixed methods have been around probably for at least 100 years. There's nothing new about mixed methods. Mixed methods is basically the combination of quantitative and qualitative research. And a lot of times, that's simply the best thing to do. Sometimes you need to ask some some quantitative questions because you need to find out some bases of what somebody is doing. But then we need to understand the mindset behind the what. And that's when you start presenting qualitative scenarios, qualitative open-ended questions. And all of those all of these things make up research. Now, when we get beyond that, we look at the actual methods, and, and I'm not going to get into these in detail. I might talk for uh, about a couple of them for a minute or two because a couple of them are really, really, really near and dear to my heart. And for some of you, I'm just going to like whet your appetite when I mention these, and it's going to make you want to go and do some digging, and that's fine too. That's what we're here for, to make people think. But listen to some of these research methods and methodologies. Contextual inquiry. 
interviewing, card sorting, tree testing, first click testing, A-B testing, not to be confused with multivariate testing. And a lot of people think that multivariate is A-B, and a lot of people think that A-B is multivariate. <laughs> and they think that they we're just going to do, do some, some A-B testing. And then when you look at it, it's really multivariate. And, and so I'm like, okay, let them go in and do what they're going to do. But if you're going to be the expert, you need to know the difference. Eye tracking, just, just fantastic stuff to be able to, to track where someone's eyes are going and what they're doing with their, with their, uh, with their designs, uh, 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 with your designs, I should say, uh, as they use the eye, the eye tracking gear while they have it on. Just phenomenal stuff. And we won't, again, we won't get into that. The one I have to wrestle with because I want to get into it in more detail is the construction of AEIOU frameworking. Uh, where you look at the activities of users, you study their environments. The I stands for interactions. You're looking at the interactive elements associated with what they're doing. The objects, what they're using, how they're choosing to engage with your design solution, things of that nature. And then the users themselves, knowing and understanding things about the users, that A-E-I-O-U, when you approach that, that's what helps to give us a nice holistic, a well-rounded, a very thorough and detailed set of understanding about our the people that we're, that we're trying to design for. I, I love AEIOU frameworking. We may actually do some episodes where we focus on that specifically. Uh, task analyses is a part of research as well to understand step-by-step what someone needs to do. And this is a part of what happens when you're doing journey mapping and, and even experience mapping can, can uh, task analysis can come into play with things like that. It definitely helps us to understand micro experiences and micro interactions, but just fantastic stuff. Surveys, probably the most dangerous type of research out there or research mechanism, I should say, because Anybody can get a Google Sheets account, a SurveyMonkey account. You can even get a, a, a free Qualtrics account, and you can construct a survey, but it does not know, doesn't mean, I should say, that you know how to construct said survey. And so if the, and, and one other thing I did not mention, all research has to be designed. And if the research is not designed properly, then the data that you glean from the research is probably going to be tainted. If the the data is tainted, you have a huge problem because the product of research is actionable, trustworthy, and reliable data. If the, the design is not executed properly, that data is not trustworthy. <laughs> it's, 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 you, it, you did something, but that doesn't mean that you did it well and it doesn't mean that you did it right. And so a lot of people construct surveys considering the fact that some people get, get grad level degrees in, in surveys. That's all they study is the science behind surveys. Which, and so when you realize how complicated, how complex, probably a better word to use, survey creation can be and you see people just doing it, just winging it and doing it, that is problematic. And so this is something that we need to be aware of today, but it is another research mechanism. It is another way to, con to conduct some aspect of the research that we do. Uh, diary studies, uh, th that's another one. People just tracking what they do on a regular basis. Uh, this one is also always funny to me, and I like to mention it uh, because design charrettes 
uh, basically come to us in the form of design sprints. And you, but you very seldom hear someone mention a charrette. Uh, what is done during a design sprint is really a design charrette. So somebody came back, took the concept of a design charrette, rebranded it, rolled it out as a sprint, and then something that's really common and needs to stop in UX today where people take something that's old, rebrand it, put their own spin on it, treat it like it's brand new, never make any mention of the fact that the thing that they presented to you already existed. Folks, that that is really unethical. It's actually a type of plagiarism. If you got something from someone else, give them the credit for it. If you if you have something else you'd like to add to it that makes it a little bit different, then do that. But don't present somebody else's ideas as your own. It, it is not the thing to do, and that's a really bad. It's not just not a good idea, and it does not benefit the discipline at all. Because somebody like me is going to come along, and then we call folks out, and then we're the bad guys. Because we did what they didn't do. We told you that somebody else actually did it. At any rate, next, O'Connell analysis. This is something that you never hear about. Something else that deserves its own segment on, on the world of UX. So we'll talk about Kano analysis another time. But it is another type of research. And then there's something else called laddering, which is a component that's tied into interviewing. And that's something else. Maybe we just talk about some of these more obscure aspects of research at another time. So these are all just a whole group of methods, methodologies, techniques, things that we can do all in the name of being formative or summative, all lending themselves to quantitative, qualitative, or mixed method studies, and they all help. Now, again, UX research is hot, right? A lot of people want to get into UX research. Do you think they know these things? that I just mentioned. No, they don't. And you don't necessarily have to when you want to get into it. However, when you decide, no matter what discipline, no matter what arena in the world of employment you're going to enter into, you need to develop some type of acumen. You need to develop knowledge. You can't just up and just do it. And a lot of people, in my opinion, want to get into research because when they hear about UX research, they equate doing UX research with the research that they did when they were in the fifth grade, in the 10th grade, in their undergrad, in grad, even some people at PhD levels. I've met, I've talked to people who have PhDs and yeah, you know, I think I want to get into UX research. I've done research. Not like this, you haven't. And and I, I remember an instance, a story I knew about where a person wanted to come and head up research at an organization and the, the team decided not to interview this individual. The individual wrote back and sent an extremely scathing note to the hiring team because they didn't get an interview. And it was really nasty. And, and it wasn't like we, you know, people read it and, and they happened to look at it a particular way. And, and and applied the wrong tone of the words that were in the message, it definitely let you know that it was scathing and the person was extremely bitter about the fact that they did not get the interview. What the person didn't realize was that the lack of emotional intelligence on the candidate's behalf was actually identified 
<laughs> and that was part of the reason. See, people want to, they want to get into research. They want to get into UX, period. And, and they're thinking about the work and they don't realize the nuances associated with the work. And when there's someone who's skilled, who understands the nuances in such a case, the person is not going to be going to reach a point where they can proceed at a certain level in their candidacy, just talking about seeking jobs for a moment, because somebody recognized the fact that the person was missing something. So it's, it's really interesting that a person can demonstrate that they lack emotional intelligence and it's seen and you don't let that person through a purse. They recognize that a person can't bring value. And so you don't get past a certain point. And, and this is one of the issues associated with, as I start to transition into the nuances, it's, it's interesting that all these people want to do research. They don't know what the work entails. They don't know really what they have to do. Uh, something else I was going to say for the end, but I'll mention it now. And a lot of people who are in UX research are guilty of this. A lot of people want to do UX research, failing to realize it's UX research. It's not research. It's UX research. It is research that supports delivering a sound user experience and something that gains wins for the business and for the users alike. The less a person knows about UX, the more unlikely it is that a person is going to be able to actually research the right things. You will, if you don't know a lot about UX, you're actually going to have trouble conducting research the right way and about the right things. You're just doing research. And you have the title of UX because you just happen to work in that department and they slap the title on you. But if you really want to excel at UX research, it is critical that you understand UX from a broad perspective. You need to understand usability. If you want to excel at UX research, you need to understand information architecture. If you want to excel at, at UX research, you need to understand the principles and the tenets associated with interaction design. And then knowing how to make those things work, you can factor those things into your research. And so when you factor these things into your research, now your research will be more valuable. What a novel idea. <laughs> valuable research. Who knew? But see, a lot of people are getting into research without the knowledge of UX. And so they, a lot of people out there also, we've talked about this before, they love that fake it till you make it mindset. And Nobody should be spending any energy faking anything when it comes to UX. Learn what you need to do, be about doing it, and then excel. So that's it. Just getting into some of the nuances a little bit. Let me share with you a few things that, that go under the radar when it comes to UX research. Have you ever seen, especially this is really popular on, on LinkedIn, Somebody will post something and they will literally say that they're doing UX research and they'll say, so which one of these is better, A or B? And isn't it funny? They never say, uh, is it A, B, C, D, or E? It's always A or B. That's really funny that they do that. And they present something with zero context. They present something that's really nothing more than visual design. A lot of these people usually say UX, UI, we'll be talking about that. And, and demystifying that whole component in the not-too-distant future. 
But folks, asking somebody whether or not they like A or B is not research. And even if you do A-B testing, real A-B testing, the people don't even know a lot of times that they're doing, uh, that they're actually comparing A or B. Matter of fact, when you do A-B testing and even multivariate testing, a lot of times you're doing it either where people are interacting with something and they don't really know that there's two, or you're rolling out version A or version B on a live website and the users have no idea that they're seeing two different versions. You're just looking at how it's performing in the wild, looking at the data, which one was more likely to convert, which one had more uh, on, on time or, or screen time, uh, which, which was more successful, which one were people more engaged with, things of that nature. That's how A-B testing is done. But these people, again, these people who post these things to LinkedIn and places like that and claim to be doing research don't know what research is. That's not research. Make sure you understand. It doesn't even qualify as an A-B test. It's not research at all. And so folks need to, to understand that. Another nuance. Many people feel that research can help all woes. You know, if we could just do research, we'd be all right. Uh, no, that's not the case. For example, one of the things I did not mention with the different methodologies is that heuristic evaluation is actually classified by many as a type of research. And part of the reason is because heuristic evaluation is based on best practices, proven principles, and common conventions within standard experiences, things that apply across the board, things that folks have already done research on, things that, pe things that people already know either work or they don't work, and you're able to use knowledge that you have through heuristics, apply it to a design to either inform the design, so, so it's, it's, it's formatively done, or it is is more uh, done from a summation perspective where you can evaluate something and then you can make decisions, whether it's formative or it's summative, you can make decisions about what to do with a design. But heuristic analysis is, is interesting in that uh, Jacob Nielsen once said, you can find anywhere from, if I remember correctly, the numbers are 72% to 90%. You can find anything, anywhere from 72 to 90% of what's wrong with any given design just looking at it heuristically. Zero research, folks. Zero. And, and think about it. Every company does not support UX research. What do you do if you go to work for a company that does not allow you to conduct research? I suggest you get a strong handle on heuristics because heuristics can get you to that 90%. And when you get an opportunity, whatever that gap is, 72, 75, 80, 85, 90, anywhere between that and 100, you can conduct research to fill the gaps. Even if you have to do what we call guerrilla research, informal on-the-spot research, is some data is better than none. As long as the design or of the research is done well, you're going to get something that's going to help inform that design. But research is not something that's going to solve all your woes. Everybody can't even do research. Sadly, a lot of people assume that everybody can, and then they judge other UX professionals based on that assumption. And, and folks, that's not, that's another nuance that, that, that which gets into hiring with regard to UX research positions. It's really weird. And yeah, UX research hiring is just as broken as, as all the other UX uh, uh, hiring 
out there. It's really weird. I, I, I had something I experienced once where I interviewed for a position, a UX uh, position. It was a designer position, but I actually did a design exercise. I believe I talked about this in another episode. I did a design exercise that was run by the UX research team. What in the world are the researchers doing running the design exercise? So that, that's just something, if you want to excel, then that that's just not something that we should be doing today. So just something else to know and understand. So what a lot of people, by the way, are calling research, another nuance, it's not research. Matter of fact, some companies are hiring UX researchers, but what they want you to do is not research. So they don't even understand what research is and you won't find out possibly until you get in there. So it's just something else that needs to be understood. Something else we need to understand. The perceptions of research, akin to that last one, a lot of times are short-sighted. Just like the people who put up the posts and say which one is better, A or B, it's, it, that's just happening on social media. Some companies are doing that too. I've seen people do the same thing. I've been asked, asked by, by people in leadership before, which one do you like, A or B? They basically did the same exact thing, and then I just froze. I'm going, no, you didn't just ask me that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so these things are, are really happening out here, and so we need to understand as we begin to wrap up, not, not too many nuances we need to understand today, uh, but it, it's, it's the more you know about UX, folks, the more you understand that, the more you're able to optimize the potential quality of the research you do, and the better you'll be able to understand what's going on when it comes to UXR, which is what we call UX research for short. So something that we really want to be careful, it's, it's important that we understand this today. So in wrapping up, I do want to just talk about some things associated with recruiting and UX research, because this is, I talked about it a little bit, but I want to, I want to mention this because this is just something I, I encountered along the way before. And I remember someone saying in an instance where they, they thought that a particular candidate for a UX research job, they felt that the person was more academic, that they weren't really ready possibly to have a role that was dedicated to UX research because they had never had, they had been doing UX for, for many years, but they'd never held the title of UX researcher. So it may be that their, their awareness of UX research is more academic and maybe they're not ready for us. And I'm being silly with it uh, purposely, of course, just having some fun with it. But uh, for those of you that didn't know, and a lot of people don't, especially, I mean, where, where's your history on UX? How far back does it go? Not just when you started doing the work. When did you start finding out about UX? When did you find out it was a thing? And then when did you start finding out how UX people actually operate? And, and were those real UXers or were they retrofit? Somebody that was thrown into a position because the company needed somebody to do it? Yeah, that happens a lot too. And then so the UX in those environments is all dysfunctional. Because of that, the person is not going to turn down a, a promotion. So they're going to go into the promotion. And if you walk in and interview there, you think that that person is exactly what their title says they are. And it couldn't be further from the truth in many instances. So UX specializations did not become commonplace until about sometime around 2013, 2014, folks. 
So those of us who have the titles of UX specialist, interaction designer, human-computer interaction specialist, information architect, UX designer, UX architect. A lot of these people, folks, in 2002, 2004, 2007, 2010, 2011, 2012 even, people who had this title, many of them were responsible for doing research. They just didn't have the title of researcher. The title of researcher came along much, much later. So you can't judge a person by their title. We A lot of times we need to just throw the titles out because they're extremely uh, 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 misleading when it comes to informing other people who that person is and what that person does. So it wasn't again until around 2013, 2014, you started seeing people with the title UX researcher. And it might have been a scant for you, but it was not in the mainstream by any by any stretch. That 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 was something that did not happen. So the instance that I that I presented was that somebody was ready to throw a person out from consideration for a job because they didn't have a title. And the people who made that decision all had three to five years of experience. Their exposure, which is why I ask you, where where what's your history? Their exposure to UX only went back so far, they had no idea what happened in UX in 2007, 2005. They didn't know that UX was responsible for helping to helping folks to recover from the dot-com bust. They didn't even, some of them didn't even know there was a such thing as a dot-com bust. Some folks didn't get on the internet until, until social media became prevalent. So, and, and they did not have a knowledge of what was going on. So the points of reference are almost non-existent. Early UX practitioners, folks, were responsible for research no matter what our titles say. I mean, I conducted my first usability test in 1995, but did we call it a usability test? No. And it was guerrilla, done through guerrilla research. Was it, was, did anybody call it guerrilla research back then? No, we didn't. So you have to be aware of these things. That's why I always say it's important to know and understand about UX history so that you can know where to appropriate things. Because if you don't, you'll draw certain conclusions. Another reason it's important to know about UX history is because you won't, some of these people who are trying to rebrand things, they won't get away with it. And you'll go, wait a minute, didn't so-and-so <laughs> come up with that? And so it, it's really important to know, folks, the, the lack of knowledge about the discipline and the lack of understanding of how early practitioners operated actually results today in the displacement of UX veterans, and it does a disservice to the discipline as a whole. It detrimentally impacts the discipline as a whole. So as we wrap up today, and we're out of time, Slightly extended today, but that's okay. If you care about the discipline of UX, it is critical that you accept the responsibility of understanding and respecting its history. And you'll be doing yourself a favor and you'll be doing the discipline a favor. You'll be doing your company a favor if you do such. But please make sure that you understand and embrace the nuances of UX research today, folks. It, 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 UX is not what some people say it is. It's important to understand UX as a whole if you really seek to thrive. You can't just go and research everything. And when I say that, 
people think that UX or UX research will solve all woes. That's sort of what I'm getting at. We'll just research everything. Nope. You need to know what to research. You need to know when. There is a thing called research strategy, something that a lot of people have no idea of. So they just research everything. And then they also forget if you're a UXer, we're not order takers. You don't do research just because someone asks you to. You need to understand what's going on because it could be that what they want you to research is already addressed by heuristics. Limiting your research just to do it in a way to validate things and to help you manage the stakeholder, but not to go and spend a whole bunch of research dollars and time and things of that nature uh, just to do something that you're already supposed to know. Embrace the nuances of UX research. You will not regret it. Your company will thank you. Your boss will thank you. The users don't know the difference, but somewhere in their heart, they'll thank you too. It's important that we do this today. Then we can make UX research more valuable. We can make it something that people who are getting into it will have a clearer path of how to operate. And then we'll be able to navigate it ourselves. So critical today. Don't just have the title, be the title. Be a UX researcher today. Sound good? I certainly hope so. So folks, that is all the time we have for today. Time to sign off. This is the host of the world of UX, Darren Hood. Happy UXing, everybody. <laughs>